Hello, my name is Graham Olcott, and you're listening to Beyond Busy, the show where we talk productivity, work-life balance, and defining happiness and success. My guest on this week's episode is Marie Benton. Marie is the founder and director of a charity called Choir With No Name. It's a homelessness choir based in London, Liverpool, Birmingham, and now Brighton as well. And you're going to hear in this episode her journey from having an idea to making things happen to ending up with such an amazing organization that she heads up and all the kind of highs and lows on the way. So grab yourself a coffee or strap your headphones in if you're traveling. And I think this is a really good episode for people who just want to really hear the kind of nuts and bolts of how to go about setting up an organization and and making things happen. So um, really inspiring story. Before we get into that, uh, just to say thank you to everybody who's been out and about as part of the Think Productive Evernote events. Um, We just finished uh, on Monday this week with Bristol. So we've been in Bristol uh, before that, London, Birmingham and Manchester as well. And really good turn ups to each, each event, really good engagement and questions quite a few people particularly in bristol saying oh i arrived and then as soon as you started talking i thought i was listening to the podcast <laughs> it's like oh wow cool yeah so it's really nice that as well as having people who are fans of the book and fans of think productive people have turned up because uh, they're podcast fans as well as obviously fans of evernote as well so really nice to have a bit of beyond busy chat uh in the sort of q's and a's and q and a's q and a uh at the events and in the kind of afterwards um you know kind of book selling and book signing kind of time uh really good to uh, say hello to a few people so if that was you hello and thanks for coming and we'll probably do some more of those events with Evernote over the next few months so um i'll keep you posted on that as and when it it uh, develops when we have dates and so on uh also i'm gearing up to I'm gearing up to do my uh, baseball trip, my first baseball trip of the season. So going off to watch the Toronto Blue Jays next week. It's been a good start for the Blue Jays, so that's all good. Uh, although I'm, you might hear I'm a bit coldy and um, sniffly because the pollen is out. So it's it's one of those at the start of the year. So maybe um, maybe Toronto pollen will be kinder to me. Who knows? So let's get into this conversation. So this is basically me and Marie round at Marie's house. I know Marie pretty well. I was a trustee of Choir with No Name. Uh, for a couple of years, I was just really inspired by uh, just watching the choir perform and just said to Marie, if I can help in any way, uh, I'd love to. So, um, yeah, I have I have some kind of history and ulterior motive for sharing Marie's story for sure. It's an amazing organisation. Uh, just come to Brighton as well. And I'll tell you at the end how you can donate to the choir if you uh, would like to do that. So um, let's get into it. This is round at Marie's house in Hove. Graham and Marie, choir with their name. Let's do it. <laughs> I'm here with Marie Benton. How are you doing? I'm very well, thanks, Graham. How are you? I'm good, thanks for sat in your living room. I was just saying, I'm struggling to get warm today. It is. So it is, and it's it's April now. It's definitely spring. It's definitely (laughs) spring. It's going to get warmer soon. We're we're holding on. I I read a thing yesterday, which I thought was supposed to be for today, saying it was going to be like 15 degrees and all really nice. And then it's just not happening, is it? Oh well. Um, So we're here to. to talk about many things, but let's start with um, let's start with the choir with no name, mm-hmm. which is how we met. As it well. is, yeah. And um, so we've known each other f- for a few years, and I I'm going to start by pinpointing the exact moment, which is very vivid in my mind actually, which is odd for me because my memory is terrible. But I can remember being at it was an NCVO Christmas 
party or maybe it wasn't Christmas but it was a reception that NCVO would do yeah, was it Christmas think, or not I don't think it was Christmas related I can't I can't remember the exact event either but because um, if it was Christmas you like Christmas is a whole thing for you in yeah, quite a world yeah. isn't it like it's a whole uh, sort of mini industry almost yeah um, but I'll tell you like my little memory was it was one of the choir with their names first ever gigs and you were at the front conducting this choir of people who you'd, I think, introduced at the beginning saying these people are are either homeless or at risk of homelessness and uh, you'd recruited them from uh, your sort of previous job. But what I saw was just this, uh, this chemistry that you had with them of conducting them and getting them to sing and kind of bringing out their personalities and kind of making sure that they were confident in that moment. I was like, this just looks amazing. Like there was just something about that relationship which I think it really is for me a very central thing to what I love about the choir yeah that I just immediately was just drawn to and I think I came up to you afterwards and just said I just want to help I don't know how but I want to help this is amazing and that's how we met right absolutely yeah and then we wrote you on board as a trustee and the rest is history yeah so backtrack a little bit from my first memory of it um what was just tell us the, the kind of founding story of your first what was the first light bulb moment that you had of I need to do this, I need yeah, to start I can, this choir? I can remember for, that quite um, quite vividly as well. And I was sat in the office with at the time I was working for St Mungo's, the big homelessness charity, and I was their campaign communications manager. And in my team, um I had a, it was a couple of friends within within my team who I was sat talking to in the office. And I was also I was a choir director in my spare time and I was asking them, I think, do we know of anybody else who's doing choirs for homeless people, basically? Is that is that something that exists? Um and I think one of them had a had a had a Google about it and we kind of thought about it a bit and and I sort of thought, oh, it doesn't seem to be like that particularly exists in London, but specifically at that time. Uh that really should be a thing that does exist. Uh, so I sort of had that in my mind, I guess, for a while. And then I was doing some volunteering for an organisation who worked with ex-offenders, but they would they do theatre productions. And I, I was the I helped out with the music on a play that they did. And um, and the guy that ran that, I was chatting to him about the idea of setting up a choir, and he said that I could use their space. They've got this beautiful, um, it was actually a converted church, but it's a theatre in North London in King's Cross. And as soon as he'd said that. I kind of realised that I had all the you had all, I had all, all the, bits the bits I needed yeah. to be able to do it because obviously I I was a choir director I've got loads of friends who could play the piano like I had a venue to do it in I had contacts through the homeless sector to be able to recruit choir members and um and my, my two friends in the office who who were um who I'd been talking to about it had both said that they would volunteer in the, you know in the first instance so I had all these pieces so you even had the first two volunteers before yes. you even started yes yeah. exactly yeah. Uh, yeah, Chloe, who you know, don't you? Yeah. And, um, and another girl, Rachel. And, uh, and Rachel, who you know as well, because she ended up being a trustee. Yeah, right. Um, so, uh, so yes, exactly. I had all the pieces of the jigsaw. And at that point, it was really, it was really a guilty conscience that think that, not guilty necessarily, but it was my conscience that drove me to do it, because I knew if I didn't do it, I would constantly feel guilty about it. So, because I had, yeah, I had all the, um, I had all the, you know, I had all the equipment to do it with, basically. So I had to get up, just get on with it at that point. So it's almost worse. Like part of your motivation was, I'd feel bad for not doing this. Yeah, yeah. Rather than that's interesting. Yeah, partly because I thought, it, I mean, you know, and, and this is a story that I that I tell whenever people sort of ask me about the the origins of the choir. But it's that thing where I, I, I was a choir director outside of. Um, outside of the homeless sector and, and had 
And my, when I first moved to London, which is, you know, years ago, one of the first sort of ways that I felt uh, plugged into a community was through singing in a choir. And when you kind of, you know, when you work with homeless people, you see, and it's kind of obvious from the stats as well, that the that kind of lack of community is one of the things that really, um, well, A, causes homelessness in the first place, but B, keeps people in, you know, in that, um, in that world and not sort of moving out into a more kind of mainstream life if you like yeah so um so yeah I guess it was that kind of um uh that realization that I had the opportunity to 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 create that with you know with people and for people that that meant that if I didn't do it it felt like a disservice yeah that's interesting it kind of reminds me of that Gilbert and George quote you know the artists and they have this thing um every painting that we don't paint will not be painted by anybody else so that's like their driving motivation this oh, kind of yeah. almost this guilt of we've got to just keep creating and keep doing stuff yeah um can you remember the poster that you put up around homelessness hostels to i can we have it framed on the office wall do you yeah cool. it's uh so yeah it was um i got another fr- i basically wrote in favors from mates all over the place so i've got another friend emily who's a designer to design it so it was kind of quite nicely done but it was all just uh the, the idea was because hope hostel notice boards can be quite busy and we just wanted it to really stand out so it was bright yellow with black text basically and, and i had a microphone on a stand and uh and we called it uh the choir with no name and then yet in brackets because we wanted to kind of leave it nameless until people in the choir decided what it should be called uh, and it said, "Can you sing? No. Oh, well, come along anyway." And then, uh, <laughs> and then, had the details, obviously, of the of where the rehearsal was. Yeah, and um, and we we got it up in as many well, um, in as many many hostels as possible. I guess mainly St Mungo's ones at that point, because that was the you know that was the kind of network that I had at that point. Um, and then we sort of turned up nervously on the first evening and, and waited to see if some choir members turned up as well. And there were four. Four. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. yeah. So before we go through the whole story, let's just fast forward to, can you just paint the picture of what the choir with no name as an organization looks like now and the sort of journey. So this is going back. How many years ago is that? Like about eight years ago or something? It's 10 years ago. Is it? Yeah. Yeah. Is it so years? that very first rehearsal I was just talking about was 10 years ago last Saturday. Right. Wow. So, okay. Uh, yeah. So yes, it's, it's quite an epic journey really. Wow. Time um, flies. Yeah. So, really so uh, talk about where the choir's at now and then we'll go Back sure. So we've now got um, we've now got well, it's three choirs at the moment, imminently four. Um, we've just merged our choirs in London, so we um, so we've got sort of huge choirs in London and Birmingham, and slightly smaller one in Liverpool, and then imminently one in Brighton as well. Um, and they're supported. Each choir has a a choir director who who you know um, takes the musical side of things, and then a choir manager as well. In um, Liverpool and Birmingham, that choir manager is still employed by us. In London, it's now employed by a partner. So we're working with a partner in, in um, Look Ahead uh, Care and Support. They're called Fantastic uh, Sort of Pan London Homelessness and, and other vulnerable um, sort of sort of supported housing organisation. Um, and uh, and it's support. So that so each choir has those kind of two members of staff and then a team of volunteers, and they're all supported by a central team. So that's me, our part time chief exec now. Um, and then we have a fundraising and communications manager and a general manager who sort of um, will say that our, Rachel, our fundraising and comms manager, raises the money and then Heather, who's the general manager, spends it. <laughs> <laughs> and then a whole team of volunteers and then a yeah. big kind of network of supporters. and Yeah, yeah. Know. So, yeah, we've, um, 
yeah, I guess kind of a couple of thousand people on our sort of supported database and and uh, um, yeah, and a big network of contacts in the homeless sector, a big network of contacts in the arts sector as well. So we've kind of you know we've just finished working with a young big on a community project with them. We've, um, we've got kind of a fairly and, and in Birmingham we work with the Town Hall Symphony Hall quite a bit. We've got um, and Liverpool we're we're based in the Blue Coach, which is a brilliant arts venue in the centre centre of Liverpool as well, and um, and. Um, with the Lord's Mayor, Lord Mayor's charity up there, we kind of I don't know tend to because I think because it's such a simple and quite good idea, and because we're um, because we're good at what we do as well, we get kind of um, we make contacts very easily basically, and then tend to keep them, which is really yeah, nice as well. Yeah. yeah. And I mentioned Christmas before and the industry of Christmas. Yeah. Around the name. So do you want to say a bit more about that? Yeah, I mean, it's not just the choir with the name. I'd say <clears> the industry of Christmas is is a big in homelessness circles and b big in choir circles. So for that's so true, isn't it? Yeah. It's kind of. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I, when I worked at St Mungo's, their their biggest fundraising campaigns were always sent out at Christmas. It's yeah. the same for all homelessness charities. I'd say it's it's the time when people um, well, the same for most charities in general, actually. Um, but yeah, there's that aspect, and then choirs are always busy, you know, singing carols or singing Christmas songs, which is you know where where we come in basically. So we run a every year we have a big gig at Christmas that we generate um, that we that we put on ourselves basically, and that's so last year it was at Brighton Dome, the year before that was the Festival Hall, um, and we um, bring all our choirs together for that gig basically. So so. The venue size becomes in, like becomes increasingly difficult because we've got kind of 150 singers to get on stage yeah, now. Whereas yeah. you know that first, first Christmas it would have been 15. So um, so that's kind maybe of, 150 people in the audience. Yes, exactly. Yeah. yeah. Now there's 1500 in the audience. Yeah. Which is, so yeah, so everything's like grown 10 times in 10 years, which is nice and neat. Isn't it? Uh, but um, uh, so yeah, that's always really really fun actually. And the main purpose of that is is actually about getting the choir members together because that's an experience that everybody feeds back that they really enjoy. Um, and also, you know, like the the people who you, know, you get to travel to a different city and and, uh, and all that sort of stuff. So that's quite nice. Um, and then, but so that's sort of one gig that we put on ourselves, and that's always the kind of uh, the sort of um, focal point of of the gigs for the year, I guess. Um, but then around that, each individual choir will have like you know probably about five bookings within their own city of to go and, like Liverpool turned on their town's Christmas lights this year like that you know that wow, thing cool. so, yeah uh, it's like celebrity status yeah isn't it? completely I think it's nice though isn't it it's nice to kind of to have um, people that are really a part of the city's community like as as that you know as, as that celebrity status yeah. and not kind of roll out you know like Jimmy Tarb I call yeah him, yeah or someone yeah. from Blue which is, <laughs> sorry it's Blue that's <laughs> <it>. <laughs> So in that 10 years, so obviously you were working at St. Mungo's before. You then have everything lined up there to start up this organisation and it just feels like I've got everything I need. I'm going to get that going. But was that was that the first time when you, when you left St. Mungo's and, and set up, in effect, on your own with the choir? Was that the first time that you'd been in that chief executive entrepreneurial role yeah absolutely I mean to be honest it, it's been a gradual process I think and something that was fairly easy for me to do because what what happened with St Mungo's was that I went into a frontline role when I set the choir up which was quite it was quite a strategic decision like I wanted to get frontline experience mm. at the same time as running the choir so I, I didn't feel like I was well just so I felt like the organisation was better supported and I yeah. kind of had St Mungo's backing to to know what I was doing for a while I guess um, and with so I worked in a full time 
frontline role in a hospital for six months while like while setting the choir up and then after that I went on to their um, local list so I was able to kind of gradually reduce the hours that I was doing and being you know and being paid for externally and kind of build up my role with the choir with no name and I didn't need to be doing it full-time until it until, until it had reached you know um, the necessity for that which is probably a couple of years later um, so I grew into the role I guess or the role grew around me or don't know how mm. you like how you how you put it but essentially to start with because there's only one member of staff it was very much a project management role like it was you know like you know project managing gigs and and um and and a support role obviously i was a support role for the, for the choir members so it was well, and the choir directing role so musical one as well so essentially i was all of the roles that there are to start with and actually it was a book that you recommended to me that got me really into thinking about that because it was the e-myth all uh, oh, right book. cool yeah and um and about that. yeah yeah well it talks really and the, the one thing the sort of big takeaway i had from that book was where it talks about um like if you're running a small business you still have to think of both mm. of it in departments basically so, so you, you draw know, out the org chart yeah, even exactly. though six of the things are you yes you exactly so i have an organization chart with like yeah. fundraising and comms in one in one side and the musical direction in another and the finance and admin and all you know all of that and then i was all of those jobs basically yeah, yeah. and as the, the organization's got this it was such a use such useful advice at that point because as the organization's got bigger none of those things have changed they're all exactly the same. It's just that not I, I don't do all of those jobs anymore. Yeah, people are fulfilling yeah. those. Um, I've been talking about that with Think Productive recently in that I've just recently been doing some work back on the product. So revamping one of our workshops and doing a little bit of, uh, I guess, just tweaking to one of the other workshops. And I kind of explain that to the team of I'm now going to be a temporary consultant on these things yeah of course I also am still a director of the company and have other responsibilities around working with Elena as the managing director and stuff but I've had to try and pull back from that over the last few weeks and say to people right my temporary consultant role has now finished (laughs) I'm still a director but I'm don't involve me in that stuff. Yeah. And I think people have found it quite difficult, maybe because they haven't read that book. I'm kind of yeah. thinking maybe I, need to like, maybe I need to just, maybe I'm taking, uh, what's the phrase? Uh, like I'm taking it for granted that they have that way of delineating that stuff. Yes. And maybe they don't. Yeah. I think it's it is, it's definitely a skill because actually that's something that people ask me and that, that has been, varying degrees of challenging over the years it's because I started off doing all the roles you have that kind of thing when somebody on, takes on that role where A you, you're in danger of micromanaging them because yeah. you've been doing it yourself I've or, done it like this yeah exactly yeah. and and um, and B that you're not kind of giving them enough freedom and trust to, to do it in their own way you know all that sort of stuff and there's and I guess the yeah the differing aspects of that um, I've, I've found like you know letting go of the music direction is, is kind of challenging in one way letting go of the finances actually would it's one of the most difficult things mm, I've done, which is weird yeah. because. Uh, but I think the finances make you feel so in control of what's yeah. going on that, that I found I control found was the word that was totally yeah, different. Yeah, yeah. Um, so, so that's been interesting. But actually, yeah, going back to that kind of you know the, the really sort of thinking about the roles and delineating them has really helped with that. I think. Yeah. So early on in that process, so it was a couple of years of slowly reducing shifts with Tamango, slowly becoming full time, slowly taking on the, those. Uh, those big responsibilities. Was there a point early on where you woke up at three in the morning and was like, "Fuck, what am I doing?" Was it like, was there a a point of I've just jumped out of a salaried role into something that now 
I have a salary, but I have to raise that money and I'm more reliant on me. Like, no, was, do you know what? Is there a kind of big moment of that or not? I haven't really had that moment with the choir with no name. It's, it's, um, it's always felt like the right thing to do. And, and I had, I didn't have any dependents at that point. You know, I had no family at that, at that point. And I think that was, that, and I had fairly cheap rent for, yeah, for London yeah. and that sort of thing. Like I had the freedom to do it, I think. And, and, um, and also I've never really been, that person like if I didn't like a job I tended to resign from it and look for another one sort of thing like but at that point I think that would be quite different once you once you've got more responsibility but no I didn't really feel that I guess the some of those sort of 3am moments have come more from employing other people and, and then you know having having that as a um you know realizing that you're not just responsible for your own welfare you're responsible for other people's as well as we employed you know, sort of choir, choir managers. The, the choirs, particularly in their sort of first flush, first few years, they, they, you know, they really gain traction and they have quite a lot of success. So they don't, you don't kind of really need to worry about them. I think the, the challenges come, you know, five, six, seven years in, basically, when it's not a new idea anymore and it starts to become more difficult to fund base for that particular project. And, and yeah. the organisation as a whole, about seven years in, we started to realise that we'd been going to trusts and foundations for for core funding for quite a long time and we were starting to run out of options of where we could get that money, you know, where that, where that core funding could come from. And, and that's, that's been the point when I started to go like, Oh, actually, yeah. I don't know. I don't really know if we're going to be able to keep this going. Is it kind of, and, and, um, and it's a funny thing, isn't it? Charity funding around the, the way funders tend to see new ideas as being the sexy things that they want to yeah. give money to. Whereas, Things that are, by their nature, tried and tested, they've been going for seven, eight, nine, ten, yeah. fifteen, thirty years, become, oh, well, you know, same old, same old, we don't want to fund that. And it's really frustrating to be it honest. It almost should be the other way around. Because yeah, no, no. <laughs> like, I mean, there little... are lots of other people who want to fund new ideas. Like some of those yeah. big trust funds should just be focused on well, what works. Let's yes, look exactly. at what reduces poverty or what yeah. in, in, increases well-being or... It is really frustrating, and some of the trusts are looking at that. I think, and you get like the Henry Smith Charity have supported us for nine years, mm. and that's you know, and that's fantastic. That'll be coming to an end this, this year, but they were the first funder to, to sort yeah. of give us uh, their faith, I guess. And then, and as I say, they've been sort of faithful for all that time, which has been amazing. Um, but then the the project funding thing, I do find really frustrating because it's like even the, like the lottery, like you, if you go to the kind of um, the bigger funds for the. Um, like uh, for, for the lottery you can kind of you can sort of go for core costs if you would dress it up as something else but you can't just say like yeah exactly that we're, like, yeah. we're running this and we, you know, we're really we doing it well and, we just need X yeah exactly and, yeah. and and we um, uh, and the other thing about that is that because I mean, we've always said like the, the whole point of the choir is that it's a, it's a static you know really dependable thing in people's lives mm. and so you know we make a point of only breaking for three weeks of the year like we don't take turn you know sort of don't do sort of term times and holidays whatever we take one week at Christmas one at Easter and one in summer um, and 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 it's that stability that's you know that reliability that's really crucial for people yeah so so yeah it just feels really counterproductive to be kind of constantly trying to dress that up in a new way because that's that's not what it is at all so yeah that is quite frustrating Weirdly, actually, we've got more kind of new things that we, yeah, more new projects in the pipeline at the moment than we've had in quite a while, and that's nice because it means we can go back to funders that have funded us before, and, and things feel a little a little bit more manageable, even yeah. from a sort of trust perspective. Um, but yeah, it was a, I mean, two, this time two years ago, 
uh, it was a it was a very sort of challenge. It was a really challenging time, and, and and we had to really rethink what we were doing, and and um, and that's where with this idea about working in partnership. I mentioned that we had a um, we've got this partnership set up in London with Looking yeah. Good, uh came from essentially. So so we looked at various different business models and how we could do things more cheaply to make it more sustainable, and and we've gone down the, and, and we've gone down the road of. Um, uh, yeah, setting up in partnerships. So we employ the choir director and somebody else employs the choir manager, which instantly halves our costs, basically, because it's essentially, apart from a few extra bits and bobs like the, the venue and food after rehearsals, it's the people who, who are our expenses. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, that's kind of, you know, I mean, our costs in London have gone, because we had two choirs in London, but we've merged them. And our choir manager being employed by someone else, our costs in London have gone down from 80 grand a year to 20. This is also a funny thing about charities and how, the public perceives charities is you'll hear people saying, well, I don't want to, I don't want all the money to go on salaries. <laughs> it's like, yeah. well, just what you said there is I think true of most charities is yeah, that yeah. people are the ones who deliver the it's, services. Yeah, it's not just charities, all organisations, yeah. isn't it? Yeah, it's the staff people are there. the biggest cost. Yeah, exactly. So and yeah, exactly. Like, like, who is it that's going to direct the choir? It's not a person. <laughs> like, so, uh, yeah. It's, uh, yeah, it's interesting because there are lots, again, there's lots of trusts that won't fund salaries. Yeah. Yeah. So with was that so my memory of that I think was that you uh, so one thing we haven't talked about yet is you you also have two kids oh yes I do uh, yes. so was that period where you had a shaky uh, situation financially within the choir was that when you came back from maternity leave uh, both times actually although it's not entirely related it sounds like I've kind of gone off on maternity leave and everything's fallen apart and that's not <laughs> that's not what happened. Um, it, but there was it was kind of related in in some ways, um, but yeah. So the the first time when so I was off with Alice, she was born in 2014, and so I came back in sort of March of 2015, and realised that um, that things weren't weren't fantastic. But I think there'd been a bit of a sort of hiatus in in um, fundraising is completely relentless. Like you have to keep going at it. You have mm, to do it all the time, yeah. or or it, you know, or or it's in, or you're in trouble. There's been a bit of a hiatus because, um, just because of the way that things have been going when I was off, and that kind of didn't really show itself until almost eighteen months later. Because because you know, you've got sort of trust stuff that's already coming in and that kind of thing. It's a bit like sales and businesses yeah, as well, yeah. isn't it? It's like you have to you put the what you're doing now. You'll probably reap the benefits of in like six months' time or yes, yeah, even longer away. Yeah. Um, yes, exactly. Yeah, so so that was quite. Um, that was quite challenging, and then and then I because basically I think I probably would have waited to have another child if it hadn't been for the fact that I was getting on forty and kind of yeah. you know sort of deciding that it was a couldn't really hang about too long. So then I had we had another one just under two years later, and because I was only because the kids were only two years apart, I only had just under a year back in post before yeah. I yeah. again. Uh, so and you're trying to solve all that stuff. Yeah, so Despite trying to firefight really all of that stuff. Yeah, not sleeping at all. Yeah, yeah, completely. And then employing two new people, trying to bed them in. Um, but they were employed. So Rachel joined us in, I think, October. And then Heather was just before Christmas. And she just proved how amazing she was because she came into the, so it was the Christmas gig at the Festival Hall. And we'd sort of, we'd been organising it, but then Heather turned up and all of a sudden the whole thing just like got taken out of our hands and done within about, like, she'd only been there for about a week. And then wow. was, and like she was, yeah, she was amazing. And then since then we've had a full team and it's been, um, and it's all turned around and we're all fine yeah. now and yeah. you know, finances are way more healthy. And, and uh, so it's a massive combination of factors that put us in a really challenging place. I think it was the kind of, you know, uh, sort of real key member of staff um, 
going as well as me being on maternity leave twice as well as a lot of the fundraising a lot of the trust fundraising stuff coming to an end at the, you know all the opportunities running out all at the same time yeah, yeah. Um, and yeah it was it was a big challenge but as I say we, we're kind of out the other side of it now which is just such, such a lovely place to be in and so you said at the beginning of that uh, so you're talking about when you started the choir you didn't have any dependents you had cheap rent in London and the rest of it and I often think that organisations and businesses and things that you start it's kind of like your baby mm. and I'm wondering if that changed when you had babies of your own did your relationship with yeah, the choir change? Yeah it did yeah it did and I still and I still care about it deeply and obviously want it to succeed and I really care about the choir members and their lives and want them all to you know um, to to be as fulfilled as possible in the lives in general but by the by the choir as well and I really care about the staff team and the volunteers you know all of that I still really care about it but it's not my first priority which it was before Mm, yeah yeah. and does it change how you view uh work-life balance and how you view your obligation to it I don't think I would well I wouldn't be able to put in the hours that I put in in the first you know, a few years now, I just wouldn't be able to. But yeah. A, I'd be too tired, and B, I don't have those hours. They're not, you know, they just don't exist. There's two two days of the week on with the kids. You know, like they're still both still both preschool age, so like look after them two days of the week. And you can't. I was used to find it like no, I wouldn't be. Um, you know, I'd sort of think, well, surely you can just like answer an email when you've got the kids at home. Like I'm thinking about other, you know other. Um, other parents who were looking after their kids and actually no you can't yeah. <laughs> like like being on maternity leave I'd sort of before maternity leave I'd think well I'd be able to add this kind of you know dreams about learning the piano properly uh, <laughs> you know doing all this stuff and actually you're just looking after a baby yeah and uh, you know usually with it sort of um, yeah usually breastfeeding 17 hours a day in the first instance huh. that kind of thing uh, yeah and you're doing it with not having had very much sleep and yes. everything but I think the main thing for me is that whole thing of of just having the headspace to be able to think about that stuff so you could probably answer an email if it was is the text of this email red or blue but anything that you've got to really think about yeah exactly yeah you it's I find it really difficult to do that when I'm in kind of parent mode versus mm. when I'm in work mode it just feels like two different very very different headspaces yes it's true yeah yeah um, do you feel like someone who so you hear this phrase of like women who have it all um which i quite often joke about on twitter because i if i'm doing parenting stuff i quite often tweet with the hashtag men who have it all because i just think why should only <laughs> like why should it be a thing that only women yes yeah have yeah. this kind of badge of honor of doing both men should have to do both too yeah, right and absolutely. it just feels like a weird thing um but do you identify as a working mother or someone who's got that balance right like what's your I really do actually I feel genuinely very privileged to have the balance that I have at the moment I mean three I'm working three days a week I really keep to my hours I'm not kind of I mean you know we end up doing quite a lot of evenings and weekend stuff just of the nature of what we do but I'm you know usually able to get that back somewhere else um the organization generally I think we like we're quite respectful of, of people's need to live a decent life outside of work yeah um and that's such a change, actually, to how it was in, in those first years that that feels like a, not a luxury, but it, it feels, um, I feel, as I say, I feel privileged and I get to spend as much time as I want to with the kids. And, and, and if I'm totally honest, I wouldn't want any more time with the kids. I completely adore them, but I really love working. And, and, uh, and um, 
actually if I'm totally honest my ideal is four days at work and three days at home I don't, I don't know why I don't know why that works for me but that's what mm. that's what it is and we decided we couldn't afford me four days a week at the moment so that's kind of uh, so I'll probably so that's an there. easy decision but back to like the first couple of years where it feels like in any organization there's a massive slog to get things going and yeah. to get momentum and to and that kind of startup mentality uh obviously you're the person who sets the culture that's respectful around work life and family life and making sure people have that that balance mm. so could you have set that same culture in the first couple of years like so if, if you'd have had one of your team members about to come off, off on maternity leave or, or, or a team member who had something else going on in their personal life that really needed care how would you have dealt with that mm, that's tricky to know because the first couple of years as i say it was it was just it was just me i'm trying to think of what happened with volunteers and stuff like that I mean I think as a person I've always been you know pretty respectful of what other people's sort of needs and wants are and, and, and I think that culture came from um, in the first instance it, it was just me being paid and then everybody else was doing everything for nothing so obviously you want to you know you need to respect what, what's going on in other people's mm, lives yeah. um, and then I'm sort of thinking but so the, as I say the first person we employed was was Jen and she's got three kids and her her littlest was still at home. Her two, the other two were at, um, were at school by then, uh, and she was always very she was fantastic actually at being very clear at saying and in fact quite inspirational really at saying these are the hours that you know these are the hours I can work within the hours that I that you have me I'll be completely committed and I'll work really hard but I'm always going to go at half two every day yeah. because I'm going to yeah. pick up the kids from school and and. Um, and so I think, yeah, she taught me a lot about about that and about kind of, um, and, and she also would say like, you know, you, you wouldn't believe how much a a, a mum can get achieved in an hour that, uh, because she knows she's only got like, you know, yeah. her mum is a, you know, a parent really, that she's only got this amount of time to, to get stuff done in. So so that's, um, you know, you're constantly working to a deadline, aren't you, basically, when you know you've got to leave to get the kids. For sure. Home. Yeah, I feel like that on, on days where I pick up Roscoe, it kind of feels like, I've only got this time. It's like, got yeah. it. And, and knowing that my head is going to shift into parent mode. And so there is just this hard boundary. That, yes. Yeah. And it exactly. reminds me of that thing of, um, which I saw once. I don't know. I can't remember where I saw this and I've since tried to Google it and find it. I couldn't find it, but it was a story about John D Rockefeller, the American entrepreneur. And it was saying that he was once asked, what's the secret of success? And he said, the secret of success is to book theater tickets and send thank you cards. And the sending thank you cards was about gratitude yeah. and personal connectivity and him recognizing oh, no, I heard that, but it's so it's true, brilliant, isn't it? And, yeah. uh, the thing about uh, thank you cards for him was that he he kind of recognized that there is there's a bit of a a sort of power dynamic going on if you're having a conversation with John D. Rockefeller, right? Mm-hmm. So he kind of used the idea of these thank you cards as a way of being really humble with people and making very on a level connections with people rather than them looking up to him as this big figure. So that was that. But the book theatre tickets was totally about this, you know, recognizing that he could just easily eke out that work till seven, eight, nine in the evening. But the kind of Parkinson's law thing of work expands to full time available works if you have a deadline, right? So if you know you've only got till six, then he would get it all done so that he can go and have dinner and then go to the theatre and whatever. Mm -hmm. I just love that whole, the, the secret to success to success in business is about booking the theatre tickets or whatever your thing yeah. is, you know, gigs or yeah, completely. whatever else. Yeah. I um I I had a conversation with my dad once where I was talking about the fact that I always leave everything to the last minute and it and it can be really stressful and and um 
And and my dad said, hmm, and has that got you results in the past, knowing that I had left all of my GCSE revision and all that, you know, all that sort of stuff <laughs> till the last minute. And, uh, and actually, it had. Like, I, I worked quite well like that. And um, so he was like, well, what's your problem then? Why don't you just stop worrying about it? And yeah. actually, that was completely, it was a real life-changing moment. because wow, it was uh, that's cool. And, and you have to, like, within reason, because you, like, with a funding application, if you've completely left it till the last minute <laughs> and you haven't looked at what the parameters are or what the questions are, then you can get really scuppered because you have you simply haven't got you know you haven't got enough time to fill it in. But if you've planned when you're going to leave it till the last minute, sort of thing, then actually that's my most efficient way of working because I, like if I have if I've got two weeks left before the deadline, I'll just sort of do a few sentences, get bored, make a cup of tea, like you know look at some emails, blah blah blah. Whereas if I know it's got to be done by the end of the day, then I get it done. Basically, it's, it's much uh, for sure. Yeah, and there's a whole thing about extrinsic versus intrinsic motivation right so if it's something that you just inherently love doing and want to do you'll do it on your own time and on your own schedule because Uh, that's a great thing whereas if it's something that you either have a lizard brain thing around and you're scared about or just you you hate doing the extrinsic motivation is somebody else standing there with a flag saying it's got to be in well yeah i remember doing a funding application for the big lottery weirdly because we talked about that earlier um and finishing it and then i was too late to get it in the post so i had to get on a train from london to newcastle to hand it into the big lottery's office <laughs> we got half a million quid but yeah those those things of when something feels scary often you just leave it to the last minute and i think sometimes yeah. you can you can find ways of using that to your favor as well so yeah i'll quite often do this where i'll give somebody else in my sort of team or kind of in my circle kind of I'll give them the fact that my deadline is this and then just say right I'm going to deliver this to you by this time and sometimes I don't necessarily even make that deadline but it at least forces me into that sort of mode at the right time Um, so that feels like a big psychological moment from your dad saying to you oh well don't feel guilty about I'm curious if there are any other things that you have learned along the way where you've learned to be kinder to yourself or you've kind of learned about your own psychology when it comes to to productivity and doing things um that's the that's the big one i'd say like i like i wouldn't say i was kinder to myself about that all of the time but i um but the more experience you get and the more you realize that your way of working achieves results the less you you know harangue yourself about all of it i'd say um i think target setting is really helpful and that's kind of a realization that i had probably through our previous chair um uh that that she sort of you know i guess she taught me that that constantly working to a plan is a is a really essential thing to do mm. which seems like a really obvious yeah. thing to have not realized before that but i think with like with the choir it's kind of you know it's a week to week thing people turn up they enjoy themselves that that's kind of sometimes enough um but when you're planning an organization or when you're kind of you know when you're sort of um uh, you know, working out what your priorities are going to be and all of that. Like to be working to them constantly is a really is a really helpful thing. So that's where we d- we learnt to set strategic aims and then fit all of our work plan into one of those aims. Basically, yeah. which again yeah. seems like a really obvious thing to do, but I don't think it was something that I'd done before. Yeah. So every time we report back to the trustees, we're reporting back under those aims. We're you know, and, and that's actually something. I say it sounds obvious, but I've been a trustee for much bigger charities where that doesn't happen. Totally, yeah. and um, and I've brought it up and I've flagged it, and there and it's never, you know, and and and, um, and it hasn't been taken on board. And I just kind of think, well, but and actually, in, in the sort of particular charity that I'm thinking of, we then we got oh, we had a kind of fee- a feedback exercise from the board, and and pretty much all of the board came back and said they weren't really clear what the business plan was, and mm. and, and uh, so. 
so yeah that's kind of that's a big a big takeaway that I've had I don't think that's necessarily an internal thing though um is there any part of you that you're still wanting to fix or anything that you're sort of restlessly trying to solve about how you work uh I think I could be a better manager um like specifically for for people I think I could help people develop their potential better um it's one of those things that I think particularly when you work part-time just gets that mm. I don't prioritize enough and I think that's it's something that needs like I need to go and um study some theory of it if you know what I mean like not not sort of hugely but I think instinctively I'm really good with people and that's a really great skill to have and I'm very grateful for that kind of yeah. thing but that doesn't necessarily translate into helping you know Jemima get um get onto the next stage of her career so uh so mm. that's something that I need to kind of go and have a think about specifically in relation to the people that I line manage. And what would you say are your strengths in terms of productivity and how you work? Um, Apart from leaving everything to the last minute. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Funnily enough, that kind of is, it. I mean, the, um, that, uh, that <clears throat> you know, working well to a specific time frame, that kind of, uh, like that thing is a strength actually, but as long as I know that I've prepared well enough for that, for that moment. Um, I um, since I went on the Think Productive training, I'm much better at kind of dealing with emails and, and keeping them to allotted to a particular time of day. Cool. Kind of dealing nice. with them more, um, you know. I'd forgotten you did that. Yeah, years ago. Yeah. I think it was like maybe 2009 or something. Oh, well, like okay, 10. cool. Yeah, you were the trainer, so it was quite. Good. Was I? Yeah, <laughs> I don't remember that. <laughs> Seems back to my memory being terrible. <laughs> okay. Uh, <laughs> um. And in fact, I've sent we've sent all of our team on it. I think since then as well, nice. like one by one. Yeah. Cool. Um, what else? Filing, basically, kind of not just literal. You know, like paper filing doesn't really exist anymore. But but kind of you know not just electronic file filing, but kind of I'm quite good at just keeping things separate in my head. I think and just sort of mm. what we were talking about earlier, like with job roles and stuff, but switching from one thing to the next, kind of making sure that. I'm good at, I guess it's about keeping lots of balls in the air. Yeah. You know, and, um, and I didn't used to be very good at that, and that's definitely a skill that I've learned. So I think a lot of people struggle with that. So just say a bit more about how you do that. And uh, are you, like, are you, I was gonna, I was gonna ask you, is that a literal how you file information, or is that just how you compartmentalize just in your thinking? But just maybe just expand it's, on that. It's both, I'd say. Like yeah. one definitely leads into the other. So, so the. Um, I mean, the systems at the choir with no name have always been very organised, and that is down to, um, you know, it was sort of as sort of I guess initiated by me and then brought on by by Jen, who's very organised as well. Like I'm quite mm. an organised person. Um, and that so- kind of surprises me a bit, and I feel like I know you quite well, but that surprises me not in a negative way, but just in a when I particularly when you what I really liked about the choir and continue to love about it is when you guys get up and do the uh, the sort of public speaking bit at, at the Christmas gig for example mm. it's very authentic and part of it is almost like a little bit messy that's part of the <laughs> that's part of the aesthetic isn't it yeah of the choir it's not 100% slick it's yeah. a little bit there is a little bit of kind of we don't quite know exactly what we're doing to that. So to then here you go, oh, we're we're really on it, we're really organised. It's just not I, I, what I, can I would see think the, of. I can see the, the yeah. kind of conflict there, but yeah, it's definitely true. And actually, well, the, the that um, 
that atmospheric gigs, and that's actually something I've learned about myself, is that if I try and prepare public speaking, then I'm, mm. I'm not terribly good at it. Whereas sure. if I do it spontaneously, I'm much more yeah. charismatic and yeah. much, you know, much, uh, like you say, much more authentic. Um, I just call myself charismatic. That's hilarious. <laughs> but, uh, but, that's allowed. <laughs> well, I was nodding in agreement. That's fine. <laughs> uh, but, um, but you still need to be able, like, but I mean, the gig wouldn't have happened in the first place if we weren't a degree of organised. I guess there's kind of a, and and it's way more stressful to be planning a gig when you don't have a proper plan in place. And all that. Yeah, and yeah. Like, it just makes it almost impossible. Um, so yeah, I am. I am organised, and, and I'm really good with figures, which I wasn't didn't know before I started the program. <laughs> I really love that about the job, and actually, that's that's one of the roles that's. Um, that our general manager does now and I kind of miss you know I still do a certain amount of budgeting but I miss sitting mm, down with, with the management yeah. accounts every month this is really tragic but, uh, <laughs> but, um, but true um, so yeah as I say for a small organisation we've basically always had our shit together well sort of uh, in proportion to the size that we are so yeah. and, and, um, and that's been really really important and really helpful I think partly from a reputational perspective because you know like I mean, at the moment, when we're sort of seeking partners in places like you're working with much bigger organisations, and actually we are we're the ones that are kind of pushing for things and asking for stuff before you know when the deadline has passed, and 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 kind of and I guess that's because for us it's our only project and therefore you know priority. But yeah. also, you know, it's um it it comes down to employing good people and um and and having that um. And having the ability to check that they're doing what they what they said they were going to do, as well as kind of keeping the promises yourself, which actually I'm the worst at in our team now. You're the worst at keeping at promises keeping, to yourself. Uh, no, I'm the worst at keeping promises to other people. Oh right, okay. Yeah, which is usually because I'm, ty- I'm tired. I'm really tired. So <laughs> that's my excuse. Yeah. It's a valid excuse. Um, back to the calling yourself charismatic, thing, <laughs> right? Uh, because. We've had conversations in the past where you've described other people in quoting their name as being charismatic. So I'm going to call you up on that a little bit and and say why did you, why did you feel a sense of discomfort about describing yourself in that way? It just sounds a bit arrogant, doesn't it? Like the, uh, I mean, I think I I think I am. It's kind of a, I think that that's part of the success of the organisation. Not not from well from two perspectives from the you need to be charismatic to be a choir director otherwise no one wants to come back to choir yeah, yeah. essentially and and that's um and so you know all of our choir directors are charismatic in very different ways actually um so yes i kind of you know i would describe myself as that in the in the first instance and actually that's probably one of the biggest strengths of my choir direction because that, that's somewhere where i'm not the most organized person in the world um so I tend to, you know, quite often make things up on the spot or, or that sort of thing. And that works. That's my style of doing it. Yeah. Um, whereas some of our directors are a, a lot better at planning and kind of, you know, and getting them. That's their way of doing it. And that's great too. But then we needed that kind of charisma. You know, I think an organisation needs that charisma for the outside world as well. Like, so, we, you know, you need that for your funders and for your or potential funders and for, you know, businesses that want to get involved. And, and, and it's been really helpful just on, um, on gigs and that sort of thing as well. So Because it's about presence with people so when you're performing it's about presence with those choir members but also with the audience mm. and then it's about presence with funders and potential partners and yeah. all that kind of stuff yeah exactly so yeah like so describing yourself in that way feels uncomfortable but describing other people in that way doesn't yes yeah i mean yeah. i guess it's a um you know 
it doesn't feel too uncomfortable. It's just a bit sort of British, isn't it, to sort of to to um, to not be able to say like, "I am marvelous," and so is everyone else. <laughs> uh, yeah. It totally. I was about to say, like, it is totally a British thing, isn't it? And I think, I think, I think actually, people would be more productive if they just got over some of that sense of guilt or lack of entitlement kind of yeah. thinking right yeah. I, I feel like confidence really breeds momentum in a lot of things that we Completely. do and I feel like as a culture we're very used to putting ourselves in the position of kind of hiding under the duvet and saying but I can't do that and yeah. whatever else that lack of entitlement thing is really key actually and, and that's and that was another kind of a moment of epiphany I guess for me was when somebody said um, and actually it was work- when I was working for a much bigger organisation and I was complaining about my boss and a good friend said to me like it's time you just got over yourself and started running a charity instead of that kind of thing mm. you know? and, um, and and it hadn't been it never been something that I would you know I wouldn't have put myself in a chief executive role ever before that moment and it made me start to think and start to dream and start to you know um, and I think that that's something that that is really it's one well I mean there's documented everywhere isn't it but it's one of the kind of big inequalities about us about society and about kind of you know being born into a uh into a position of entitlement where you assume that you're going to be at the top of your profession or yeah. or not and and that's so much these days still to do with wealth in in this country that I think it's um it's something that you know that I feel quite passionate about yeah um wealth it, and connections yeah and I I'm a big fan of Josie Long, who we've had on the podcast before, and her charity Arts Emergency, which is which is basically trying to do exactly that. So it's kind of saying people who don't come from that background of wealth and have that sense of entitlement, let's just go and get that sense of entitlement, but yeah. do it in a really positive way rather yeah. than. You're the second person that's mentioned Arts Her and Arts Emergency meeting this week. Oh, really? Yeah, oh, yeah. Fun. I can't remember who the other person was now, but yeah, I hadn't heard from it. Heard of it? I know Josie Long. But I heard yeah, um, and just the the ethos the ethos of that and the way she set it up. I think there's a lot of similarities between that and what you've done with the choir. In that, some of her stuff is kind of, you know, it's very there's there's an extension of her in there. There's the personality in that. It's little hand-drawn manifestos and little badges that she's made and stuff. Like, We're going to do a thing, you know. <laughs> you know, yeah. you know how she is, and and so I, I do. I do feel like there's there's not enough of those kind of things happening where someone's really putting heart and soul and charisma and authenticity into a thing rather than just saying, well, if you want to set up a, a charity or a company or whatever, we'll do it in the same way that a slightly bigger version of this has done it before. Yeah. Right? Like people just copy what's yeah. around them rather than just actually kind of doing what doing, you know, filling the space that is there to be filled because it's, you know, it's the thing that's shaped like them, if that makes sense. Yes. Yeah, exactly. That's uh and it, and that's about, it's all language, isn't it? It's kind of language and, and there's a lot of, I mean, there's a lot of com stuff in there, which was very, it's very easy to do as a, as a choir really. Like we don't, that we don't address a lot of complicated issues there's no jargon involved no you know that so you, you can kind mm. of do that quite easily i think as as this project like sort of just put yourself out there in in very sort of simple terms and and really be i mean and again this is sort of something that that i guess was generated by me in the first instance because i was the first choir director but it's generated by in each of our choirs by their choir directors as yeah well. so yeah. each choir has a slightly different personality that's all sort of you know a, a, an, an amalgamation of the people that are in it not just not just the choir director although the choir director plays an enormous part in that 
it's um, it's really interesting. Yeah. Um, final thing then before we finish. So apart from you know family emergencies or big catastrophes, what what's the thing that uh, gives you fear, or what's the thing that you most worry about generally? Um, funding is always is things always going to be there. It's just the, the the nature of running a small a small charity. Uh, so the, yeah, the two things that keep me awake at night, I guess, or, or the challenges at, at work are funding and people. And mm. so, and the people challenges are, you know, they come from when when someone that isn't quite gelling in the role that they have, and and that needs addressing in in whatever way. Um, and uh, and that's it, it. It kind of manifests itself in you sort of find yourself thinking about it at odd times and you're kind of like yeah it does I mean I'm, I'm not very good at sleeping anyway so it does keep, yeah, it literally keeps me awake at night you're awake anyway yeah so like, yeah well, that's true actually yeah. although the most frustrating nights are when the kids are asleep and I'm still awake because <laughs> I'm thinking of something else yeah that's uh, um, but yeah that, I mean I, I think probably a lot of people would say that wouldn't they money and money and people and yeah. things that keep them um, and would those be the same things outside of work <laughs> what would um, be outside of work yeah, I, I suppose so. Money, I, I'm lucky enough to not really, not really worry about too much, and that's not because we're hugely well off. It's just because I don't have massively, you know, I'm not, uh, I don't have huge goals in terms of money. I think, yeah. you know, once, and I kind of quite a sort of, um, when, you know, you always kind of go like, oh, it'd be nice to have that house over there, and not this one, and, and I and I try not to essentially, I sort of try not to do that because we are, you know, very lucky to be, you know, to be where we are. Um, so, so yeah, I guess yeah, I'm I'm sort of lucky with that. A not not to be uncomfortable, and B not to have huge aspirations. Yeah. Um, and then yeah, people is the people are always it's relationships, isn't it? They yeah, always for keep, sure. you, keep you either uh, happy or or stressed. So back to that thing about the what I'd probably describe as status anxiety, the mm. Alan de Botton book, which I really love about I'm I'm sat in this house over here why am I not looking over there and looking at that bigger house and saying oh, I really want that house so how do you how do you not have huge goals and aspirations around that stuff like what's the is there a, a kind of piece of psychology that you give yourself that allows you to not have that now that you, now that we've started to examine it I'm starting to wonder whether that's true <laughs> <laughs> uh Actually, I'm fiercely jealous of my friends. <laughs> well, I don't. I'm not a very jealous person yeah. in general. Like I never have been, and I think that's. I feel you know very lucky from that perspective. I think when you work with with people who don't have very much, mm. like it, it, it feels wrong to therefore to be kind of going like you know, I, you know, I live in a um, sort of Camilla and Batman Gelich style sort yeah. of thing, going home to a mansion and the. Uh, swimming pool and all yeah, that yeah yeah like I, I um but it, it just it feels wrong to not realize that I'm lucky if you know what I mean. mm, but that yeah. sounds really yeah. like um I'm not I'm not a, I'm in no way a saint in the in these terms at all I think a lot of people spend a lot of time worrying about how they get to the next goal financially so that they can have that bigger house yeah. and they can have a better car or whatever the things are and I'm just wondering if there's some mental gymnastics that you've had to do or worked out how to do or if there's a kind of conscious thing about actually I'm going to kind 
kind of I think I'm pretty lucky where I am and I don't need anything else and no I mean I think I do do that now that I you know now that I sort of examine it properly <laughs> I do I do do it but I try I don't think it's a good thing to do and I try not to so I'm mm. doing I've just started a mindfulness course which is um you know which is to help with that and actually that's not the, really the reason that I did the course in the first place that was more to do with trying not to lose my temper with the children but <laughs> uh, but uh but that's definitely, you know, a kind of appealing aspect, I think, of staying in the moment, isn't it? Mm, and yeah. and, um, and consciously, like when I think about it logically, I know that I'm a lucky person and that I've got everything I ever wanted, if I'm totally honest. Like I wanted a husband and a couple of kids and they're both, you know, both, there's three of them. Uh, they're all, you know, really lovely. Both and, aspects ticked. <laughs> yes, exactly. <laughs> and I've got a job that I love and, yeah. and um, that makes me, you know, that I'm proud of and, and um, that gives me confidence and and uh and all of that so so really i do feel like i feel like the woman who's got it all that's great isn't it there you go that's yeah. almost the uh glaring title <laughs> of the show isn't it to, to put yeah. around it so that's probably a great place to um finish up uh how can people find out about the choir with no name and maybe even give some money to the choir with no name oh that would be nice so it's um choirwithnoname.org is the website and uh, you go to, you can add slash donate on the end of that if you particularly want to go and give us some money but actually we're always really up for um but for regular givers it's i mean the same with every charity but it's you know your way of um of uh, having money that you depend on every month basically which is just so important for all the reasons I've been talking about so yeah if anyone fancies joining our fan club so I'm a member of the fan club I yeah. can definitely recommend the fan club and Excellent. particularly recommend the Christmas gigs as well which is always please a do lot of come fun yeah they're well. really fun uh, and how can they connect with you personally uh, at Marie Benton on Twitter um, and that's it isn't it that's fun <laughs> that's where <laughs> the world is well my email address is marie at <laughs> cool thanks Marie it's been a real pleasure thank you very much So thanks to Marie for being on the show. Really enjoyed doing that one. And also, if you would like to donate, I'll give you uh, a couple of ways you can do that in a moment. Uh, thanks also to Mark Stedman, my uh, producer from Bloomsbury Digital, and to Think Productive for being the sponsors of the podcast and sharing and spreading the words. Um, if you would like to donate to The Choir With No Name, you can text the word SING, just S-I-N-G, to the number 70300. Uh, that will donate £3 to Choir With No Name. So text the word SING to the number 70300. That's a UK thing only. Uh, but if you want to text, then that's probably a really quick way. You probably listen to this on your phone. So do it right now. Your phone is in front of you. You have nothing uh, holding you back from doing that. Um, if you're outside the UK or if you want to do something a bit more long longstanding, I'm actually a member of the fan club now, which is uh, called the Groupies. And basically you just set up a direct debit. So you can do that if you just go to choirwithnoname.org and uh, from there click on the Get Involved page and you'll see the official fan club. And they're also doing a 10-year anniversary, donate £10 uh, for their 10-year anniversary campaign as well, um, if you want to just get involved on a one-off kind of basis. So yeah, choirwithnoname.org, and you'll find the details all on there of how to get involved and support an amazing organisation. Uh, we'll be back in two weeks' time with another episode of Beyond Busy. So until then, whatever you're doing, enjoy the sunshine. Keep getting down to some meaningful, exciting work. Make sure you're looking after yourself. Self-care and balance, all important. And I'll see you in two weeks' time. Take care. Bye for now. Mm -hmm.